Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Um, so we have steam beer in here right now. Um, fermenter two and three are full of steam beer. We're gonna drop this tomorrow. So these are scaled to the brew house. So about one brew in the brew house will fill one of these. I should describe to our listeners, basically we're looking at two above ground pools that are full of beer. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you ever- awesome. Not that we know of. <laughs> Nobody's pulled a hearse castle and just jumped in the pool, the tour ends here? No. Uh, I don't think so, although we always joke about when the tour goes by, if, you throw, if you're in here, throw a towel over your shoulder and walk out of the room and see what they say. <laughs> Welcome to Total SF Heather Night. You just heard Anchor Brewing brewmaster Dane Volick taking us through the most Willy Wonka portion of our tour, of Anchor. Basically, it was Sutro Baths with beer. (laughs) Yes, um, it was a giant vat filled with beer, and we definitely had fantasies of jumping in and swimming in the beer and drinking as much as we could. But we were professional, and we kept going with the tour. We were pretty professional during this tour. Um, This started, like many things, with a controversial column I wrote about Anchor Steam and their label redesign. They went about a year and a half ago from hand-drawn labels to a more corporate label. Uh, I wrote something kind of critical. They were very cool about it, invited us on a tour, I think to show us that this is still a San Francisco beer. Yes, and we found something in addition to Star Trek Four that you and I disagree on. I like the new labels. And it's kind of fun that for once you were the one getting shit for a column. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, walking around, I'm usually looking around for people who might be jumping out from the bushes to yell at you. But, but <laughs> this is one area where, you know, I was public enemy number one. Um, they didn't treat me that way, though. Uh, we got this wonderful tour. Beer making is so much harder than I thought. It's this blend of art and science, and Dane Volek really showed us the science. I'm a bad student. If we were tested on how to make Anchor beer, I think I would get an F minus. Luckily, I recorded. Here's a sampling from our tour. Um, so essentially, in that ca- in that first vessel there, we're going to do that that protein and starch degradation process using pH temperature. So underneath the 16 plates that make up the false bottom of the ladder ton, there's eight symmetrically placed holes in the actual bottom of the vessel. We're doing what's called sparging right now. So there's a faucet in the ceiling of this vessel. It's dropping 170 degree water spinning around through that sparge arm and we're collecting that last bit of sugar that we can get out of that grain. So this is our filtration room right here. Uh, It's basically a three-stage process. On our left here we have our centrifuge. I am however good at drinking beer, Heather, and we got a tasting on this tour in some kind of unexpected places. Yes, Dane poured us a a healthy pour in the beginning, which is the regular Anchor Steam beer. But throughout, we got to taste more on the tour, including beer straight out of the giant silver vats that he just kind of unscrewed, and then the beer just started pouring out into our cups. Yeah, giant vats. These are 280-gallon vats. They are like the size of a semi-truck. And he's putting this little tiny 
uh, device on it that let beer come out like six drops at a time. <laughs> and it was so good. I only drink beer now fresh from the vat. <laughs> um, we also got to go to Public Tap, which I didn't know about. It's across the street. It's for the public and a place of experimentation and, and beer tasting. And we got to enjoy that, too. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. They have a lot of um, bobbleheads. There was a Clay Thompson paddling his boat bobblehead, which I know you appreciated. Um, but we got to try a lot of experimental beer that was really good. And um, pro tip, this place has um, games, picnic tables. Kids are allowed inside and outside. I think it'd be a great Heartlob night family get-together sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Or a total SF event, um, public tap. It's on Mariposa across from Anchor Brewing. So Anchor Brewmaster Dane Volek is coming up. I really love this interview. And listen to the end of the episode because we have multiple calls to the Total SF Party Line. That's 415-777-7413. Leave us a question, a request, a short message, and you may hear it played on Total SF and get a Total SF t-shirt. And remember, we need your nominations for Animal Month. March is our second theme month. We had Public Transit Month last September. March will be Animal Month, and we're going to have a contest to see which is the official animal of San Francisco. We need nominations, so call the party line. Leave us your suggestions. What's the number again, Peter? It is 415-777-7413, and we got an animal call today. You're going to hear it today. I'm Peter Hartlob here with Heather Knight. Blood alcohol level right around 0.08, and this is Total SF. Thank you very much. Welcome to Total SF, Dane Volek. Uh, thank you for the great tour that we just got. Uh, the one question I didn't ask on the tour is, how'd you get started here? Oh, man, that's a, that's a, quite an interesting story, but to keep it brief, uh, I was going to SF State, uh, and I was getting to that stage where I was running out of money and looking at the realities as they were, and I uh, wanted to kind of deny that as much as possible, but then I happened to see a posting outside of one of my classes for a job I'm working on the racking line at Anchor Brewing Company. And I was like, that sounds pretty good. Pay seemed really good. Seemed like a workout. Hours were flexible. So I uh, pulled the number off, made the call, and not too long after that, two, uh, two interviews in and meeting Fritz Maytag for the first time. And the next thing I know, I was washing kegs at 6 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember your first day of work? I do. I actually do remember my first day of work pretty vividly. Uh, I mean, I'm a hardworking guy that loves to loves to use my hands, um, but it was it was definitely more than I'd done in quite some time uh, with with that specific asset. So, how, how popular were you still in college, but working at a brewery? <laughs> It worked out all right. Uh, I was actually not 21 when I started, oh. so there was a little so bit sure of a gap there. I'm sure you didn't drink there. any beer at all. I had no beer whatsoever. <laughs> I was definitely not home brewing and not interested in learning more about <laughs> brewing. Well, we just got a great tour, and we learned um, some breaking news about a Mexican lager with lime that's coming out soon called, tell us the name again? San Pancho. Yeah, it was very good. But you're really known for steam beer, and can you define what steam beer is? 
So steam beer is a, a, it's an artifact of a lot of technology and innovation that was occurring during the times of the gold rush. So you had, you know, predominantly lager centric, a lot of times German brewers that were coming out to the West coast, seeking their fortune, whether gold or otherwise. Uh, and, and they wanted to produce beer but they lacked a lot of what we take advantage of today. And they lacked a lot of the sort of bare necessities of keeping beer cold. We didn't really have caves in this area. We didn't really have cheap, ready sources of ice. We didn't have electricity, but they're using lager yeast. Um, so really it was a, a beer that was born of innovation, born of how do I take what I know and what do I know how to do and create a product that's still approachable, delicious, and craveable. Um, so Steam's a very special beer, uh, very highly unusual. Of course, we're the last ones making a, quote, steam beer today, although California Common is the common term, shall we say, for other, other beers made in this style. But it utilizes, long story short, a lager strain of yeast, but more at ale temperatures, ale conditions. Uh, and San Francisco is really a, a really warm place that allowed this process to occur and allowed a lot of these innovations to take place and you know we are the last ones around but there's there was a lot of it going on at that time mm-hmm. and is san francisco's climate still important to the brewery method today well, it's not so important to the brewing method other than that it is still consistent yeah. um, which was a very nice piece of of data to work with for those brewers at that time uh you know just having that that stasis in the climate does still allow for some, you know, stability of an expectation of electrical demand. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there is a little bit of that still playing with it, but the beer itself has evolved somewhat from that time. A little bit more control, as you can probably imagine, a little bit more science is being applied. Mm-hmm. But we're trying to, as we always do, stick to the traditions of our heritage and really, really just improve upon what it is that makes the beers that we make special and do things like fog and hetch hetchy water influence the taste oh the water does i have to imagine for sure that's one of those things that people always ask especially the more the more attuned brewers when they come in there's that's always one of their questions what do you do with the water like what's your water treatment profile and we're like "Eh, we add a little gypsum in the mash tun and that's about it you know we just roll with what we have which is incredible yeah and very delicious. So that's a huge part of it, of course, water being the largest ingredient in beer. So very important. Well, this brewing company has been produced for 120 years plus. There've been a lot of highs and lows. How much do you pay attention to the history? How much have you absorbed in your 15 years here? Not enough yet, but I'm working on it every day. Uh, I mean, that, that the history is, I started as a, as a craft brewer, as a home brewer, um, and I was always very fascinated by that angle of things. I thought the history was really interesting and something that always appealed to me as well. But over my my many years at Anchor here, it's always been a little bit more focused on process. And now as I've kind of learned different parts of that process, I find myself turning back to this family that I've grown up with, this cohort of people that I work with, 
it always kind of brings me ends up bringing me back to that history and and what it means to be around for 126 years and and hoping to be around for another 126 Mm -hmm. so that the history is definitely something that a lot of people are very attracted by and i just find myself getting more and more attracted by that over time well, I, I've been digging around in the Chronicle archive um, looking for Anchor Brewing facts, and, and a lot of things jumped out at me. 27 steam beers were in the city in the 1800s at one point. Uh, Anchor's the only one that survived prohibition. I actually found the incorporation of Anchor from 1905 in the Chronicle. It's um, The Anchor Brewing Company has been incorporated by Otto Schinkel Jr. Albert Graft. Ernst F. Baruth and Otto Schinkel Sr. with a capital stock of 37500 which won't get you a lot in San Francisco today, but back then they got a brewery. Um, a lot of ups and downs. I read through the archive, and at one point, I mean, we have a 1965 story headlined, It Looks Bad for Steam Beer, and a profile of one man he he had one employee at one point but i think he had to fire him by the end there was one person putting out anchor beer which was being distributed basically to to beer halls around here i found chronicle ads where it would be like double play bar has anchor steam this week it was not a beer that was going all over the nation international but then fritz fritz maytag who you mentioned shows up in 1965 he's a stanford student drops $15,000 as a hobby, he doesn't even think like this is going to become a big thing, and then it becomes a big thing. You've met Fritz Maytag. I was shocked. He's actually still alive. Yeah, he's uh, he's 85. He turned 85, I think, about two months ago. What What's his influence on this place? And, and you know, Maytag, he's actually part of the Maytag, um, the, you know, I guess, washing machine chain. So he had some business sense. What does he mean to this place? Do you still feel his soul here? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he uh, he passed down everything that he knew person to person. I mean, it really is a family around here. Uh, not something that you pick up right away when you first start working, but you, you do notice oh, this person's saying hi to me every morning. They know my name. Like, oh, if I go over to Public Taps now and have a beer after work, there's a little enclave of anchor workers right there. It's like you get drawn into it before too long. And I think Fritz, he obviously had a huge impact on the industry, obviously a huge impact on us um, at Anchor. But definitely more than anything else, really just kind of solidified this familial feel and this feeling that you're you're safe and at home when you're here. Your ideas are worthwhile. And we all just kind of bounce everything off of each other and we end up learning exactly how to make this beer slightly better, how to how to do this procedure a little bit better. And I think that that sort of governing drive is still very much alive and well here. And that's something that I personally and I, many of my coworkers take seriously of shepherding that into the future. That's really what our job is. Mm-hmm. And there have been two stories in the last six years that made big headlines. One was the sale of Anchor to Sapporo and also the label change. From the inside, how has Anchor changed in recent years? Oh, I think it's gotten better and better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the Sapporo news is really big, of course. Um, but Sapporo is the oldest brewery in Japan, the oldest beer label in Japan. Very dedicated to the craft. They do everything from raise hops um, to own hotels and things like that as well. But um, they're, 
they're very detail focused and very keen on fostering the innovation that we have and supplying whatever it is that we need to keep that going. So like the laboratory, for instance, has had a ton of investment. It's been really awesome seeing what we've done there and, and the capabilities, the increase in the capabilities that we have today versus pre-Sapporo. Uh, and just a network of people to communicate with. Uh, you know, we're, we're an odd brewery in a lot of different ways, but having that sort of right there and ready assets to tap into and knowledge base to learn from has been really incredible. Uh, I mean, it's just been an up and down investment through mm-hmm. and through. So we're, we're very happy to be partners with Sapporo. Under Sapporo's ownership, is Anchor made in more places now or still just here? Uh, now it's still just here on the <laughs> hill. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, we, of course, just before the Sapporo purchase in 2017, we opened Public Taps, which is directly across Mariposa Street here. Mm-hmm. And that's our, our pilot brewery, um, which is very cool as well. I hope to bring you guys over there in a we few can do minutes. A sequel. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the sequel. <laughs> uh, but other than that, no, it's, it's San Francisco made all the way since the beginning. Cool. Um, so nothing's changed there. Uh, I, I was one of the people who who panicked during the label change. Uh, I ran out and bought three 12 packs of the old kind of Anchor Steam, wor- worried that it might change. Yeah, I wrote a column. It was very polarizing. I heard from people who agreed with me. I heard from people who told me to get over it, including some people from Anchor. <laughs> they were very nice. <laughs> they were very nice. Uh, what did you think of the label change? Did that, did that, was there a seismic impact here or were you guys just like, did you roll with it? I think there was less of an impact here. Uh, I think we all knew that there was going to be a pretty significant impact. I think we'll all treasure those old labels without a doubt. Uh, but I really like the concept of pushing us into this next 126 years. Uh, I mean, the craft brewing industry has become a lot more challenging in the last number of years. Uh, And I think what we really wanted to accomplish was a couple of quick goals. We wanted to have our beer really stand out on the shelf. And we wanted people to know that we make something other than steam beer. Um, So we we really actually took a lot of old kind of archival data. And we we put together this new packaging using a lot of of things out of the archive. So it's kind of an amalgamation of, of different labels from the past, signage from the past. Uh, we wanted to stay true to that that original long-standing brewery, but we also just wanted to make it incredibly clear to people, like, we're here, we make a bunch of different beers, you should probably try them all, <laughs> and here they are. We'll be right back after this short break. Well, this seems like a dream job, but as we're getting the tour that you gave us, I mean, it, it could have been in places like the, you know, Lawrence Livermore Laboratory <laughs> describing fusion. I mean, there's a lot going on in here. For people who don't know who don't work here, what are some of the challenges and what are some of the maybe unexpected pleasures? Uh, well, there's, those are a little bit tied together, I would say. I mean, the, the challenges for me are we make a handmade product from raw ingredients from a logistics chain in a somewhat uncontrollable manner with very little absolutely top of the end brewing technology i mean we're really we're just ladies and gentlemen here making a product from a a natural raw ingredient um, so that both the joys and the pains a lot of times come from first thing i do is i walk in the morning 
kind of see how everything's looking. I mean, it's really an appetite for the eyes, for the nose, for the palate all day long. You're using all these senses and the longer you stick around, the less you really realize that you're doing it. But as you saw with these open fermenting vessels, you know, you walk by the room, you know right away by looking at it, is it doing okay? Is it where I expect it to be? Then I kind of pass into the lab. I'll look at the documents. You know, we actually, I meant to show you that too, and I, I left that out. But it's, all of our brew sheets are, are still pencil on paper. Uh, they sit on the brew house desk while the wort's being produced. They're passed over to the lab once the wort is in the fermenter and they're in fermentation. We have one row in there that's actively fermenting beers. We have one row that's like partial tanks that aren't actively fermenting. They're in the cellar now, but there's going to be more added. And then we go down to the cellar and we have the last stock of all of our paperwork down there, which is everything in the cellar. Um, so the, the trials and tribulations of the average day are just looking at all this handmade work from grain to glass and where does everything stand and is everything okay? And to some degree, you are a firefighter. Every day there's going to be one little thing or two little things that um, might not be going exactly to plan and it, it, it provides challenges because it's not an automated brew house. Uh, mistakes get made, you know, people aren't perfect and neither are raw ingredients. If they show up or, you know, they're more beat up than you wanted them to be when they show up, it's all sort of a massaging process, but that's really what we're all here to do is, is end up from point A to point B in your glass. So. So how much experimentation still happens, though? I mean, you have your core beers, but you're coming out with new ones, and it sounds like at Public Tap there's even more of that going on. Uh, it's happening every week in one way or another. Uh, I mean, commercially, we have Christmas sale every year, so that's a huge thing we get to look forward to every year. That's going to be a different brew, different ingredients, different process probably. So we have that every year in the bag. And then the last number of years, yeah, we've brought up a few beers from public taps, scaled them up, put them into the marketplace, see how they do. It's very exciting. It's definitely a part of what keeps a lot of us around here engaged and, and happy. Um, but yeah, public taps is a whole other story. That's a new brew every week, pretty much. That's about the flow of it. So there's a lot of experimentation going on there, um, far more than we could really capture for any actual use commercially. You know, it's maybe one out of one out of the four brews in the month we're doing something explicitly for some commercial application. The other three brews, we're doing something to learn something, or we're doing something to please a consumer that we know wants something very specific, or we went to a restaurant last night and we tried some new dish, and how could we make a beer that resembles that dish or goes with that dish? Uh, I mean, that's the joy of a seven-barrel system, as it's, it's pretty easy to make a, a batch of beer, and pretty easy to sell it when you have people that love coming and tasting <laughs> is there a lot of failure on the way there i mean do you taste a lot of bad beer before you get that one that you really love at public tap uh i'm i'm probably the harshest judge of anybody on some <laughs> of those so it's not i'm not always exactly pleased the way that i thought i was going to be pleased there's always a little bit of shock i wouldn't say i'm disappointed often uh, that's maybe a little strong but there's, there's some beers that are clear winners and mm -hmm. some beers that were, are more than drinkable. <laughs> well, we associate Anchor so strongly with the Giants. Are you a Giants fan? I am a Giants fan. I'm not a huge baseball guy, yeah. um, but I always enjoy going to the games. And 
Uh, of course, drinking our beers there. I'm looking forward to San Poncho there in the future. <laughs> With the nachos. That's going to be a great oh, killer uh, combination. With uh, the cha-cha bowl. Yeah, oh. that'll be good. Yeah, I'm going for that. I'm not going for the Giants this year. <laughs> You're they, going they for built the... <laughs> a bad team, but if they've got a good beer selection, I'm still going to get to the ballpark. Why does beer always taste better at a Giants game? Uh, I mean, that's part of the it's part of the romance of enjoying something you enjoy where you enjoy it. It's a combination. It's some kind of mathematical, you know, exponential. We can't really quite explain it other than to taste it and experience it. <laughs> Well, you survived our serious questions, and now it's time for the lightning round. Okay. Where is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? To get a burrito? Uh, Castaito, probably. Uh, what's your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? I've been wanting to watch the vampire one again, Interview with a Vampire. Oh, yeah. oh. Uh, I always have that scene going across the Golden Gate Bridge and just, like, the hair flicking in the wind. There's <laughs> always something about that scene. I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but I've been thinking about it recently, so we'll go with that. Okay. Where's your favorite place in the city to get a stiff drink? I'm going to have to say one of the many rum bars that we have. We'll mm. go Smuggler's Cove. Okay. Uh, the rum barrel's a great drink. Yeah. Well, this region is very associated with wine. Would you consider San Francisco a good beer city? Yeah, I think it's a good beer city. If we expand that to just the Bay Area in general, we're absolutely hitting it out of the park. Yeah. Um, but there's there's great breweries in, in the city, really good work that's being done. I'm sure there will be more in the future. And besides Anchor, obviously, what's your favorite local beer? Uh, I'll go East Bay again. Uh, I like a lot of what's going on in the East Bay. There's uh -huh. Original Pattern, Ghost Town. I mean, there's just uh -huh. so many good breweries in this area. Um, but the East Bay's really stood out in the last year. They had an incredible showing at Great American Beer Festival this year. People are definitely taking notice. Yeah. How much beer do you drink in an average work week? Um, just enough. <laughs> <laughs> and last question, what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Uh, time to relax with the people that I work with. Mm-hmm. Always try to just, you know, multitask at the end of the day. I go to public taps. Mm -hmm. I taste a pour of something that uh, I haven't tasted in a while, and I enjoy it with the people that I work with. And I try to do that every day. We've got 24 taps over there now, so it, it takes an effort to get through them all and, and do your checks and, yeah. and measures. So that's an important part of my day every day. I would also say the beginning of the day. Uh -huh. uh, I think the first three hours, I always find I do probably 80% of the work in the Me first too. three hours. Yes, and then we go on beer tours. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we well, thank, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank yeah. you. And I'm, I'm actually, I want to formally apologize for crapping on your new label because the beer tastes exactly the same. And after this tour, it's clear to me that it's being made in San Francisco and it's no less of a San Francisco product. So thank you for letting me in your brewery after I crapped <laughs> on your new label, and my apologies. Well, it wasn't easy for any of us, I'll tell you that. I mean, we'll, uh, we'll see what the future holds, but we know it's going to be bright for us. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. That's great. So we got three new phone calls on the Total SF party line this week. 415-777-7413. Leave us a message, some kind of contact information, and we may send you a t-shirt. 
As long as it's not a medium. We have one medium left right now, Heather. <laughs> so we want all of our small and large and extra large <laughs> listeners to leave us messages. I tried to leave a message and surprise you on the party line. Dane Volek at Anchor Steam told us that the brewery has one of the last working payphones in the city. So I snuck out and said I was going to the bathroom, but I was trying to surprise you with a call to the party line. But the payphone does not actually work, I'm sad to report. Okay, well, we're going to work on that. Work on that anchor brewing. <laughs> Let's listen to our first caller. Yes, I'm listening to Secrets of the Cal Academy Penguins and want to nominate the Golden Gate Bison, Golden Gate Park Bison, for your uh, San Francisco animal for the month of March. Thanks. Bye. I accept this nomination. This was already top of my list. So we are definitely including the Golden Gate Park Bison in our bracket. Yeah. Notice that person didn't leave a name. I'm wondering if that might have been a bison. <laughs> so that would be a conflict of interest. Yeah, these shirts wouldn't fit a bison. So maybe he's like, yeah, this isn't going to work anyway. I'm just going to leave my message. <laughs> we got a lot of feedback. I think the bison are in. Penguins are in. They were already in. Uh, Parrots of Telegraph Hill. And a lot of, um, I, I would say, bordering on, on threats that we better <laughs> include the seagull. Yes. Yeah. There were also suggestions for the sea lion, and several people suggested their own dogs. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what we're... I, I think we'd have to do dogs as one category. I wouldn't yeah. want to have one person's dog in there. Yeah. But uh, we are working on the list. Thank you very much for the phone call. Bison are in. It's a lock. Thank you, bison caller. <laughs> or bison. Hello. I have a tip for you guys, or a question for you guys. Um, for Total SF, and that is, what is the rhyme or reason for where the street name signs are placed? Um, it seems like they're always on a different corner of the street, and I never know where to look for them. So if I knew that, like, the street signs were always on the northwest corner of an intersection, I would know where to look, but it seems like we don't have any kind of rhyme or reason with those in San Francisco. Um, I'm Addie Bjornsson on Twitter, A Bjornsson, A-B-J-O-R-N-S-E-N. Thanks. I can relate to that. I think some intersections don't have them posted at all. Um, I think Jeffrey Tumlin is a regular listener. So Jeffrey, if you're listening that, to this as the head of the SFMTA, can you let us know the answer to this question? I'd love to know the answer to the question. I think this could potentially be an episode or a Heather Knight investigation. <laughs> <laughs> you can get a couple columns out of this. Um, I'd love to know the answers. I'd love to talk to a sign maker in San Francisco and find out what the deal is with that. Are they? Do they still have a sign making shop? Yes, Are they there, do. They do. Do they have? Um, you know, specific uh, places that they put the signs. I have a lot of sign questions. I think we could do an entire episode on signs and people would like that. Mm -hmm. I have actually asked for a tour of the sign shop um, and did not hear back. So that's a good reminder to check in again. Awesome. Thank you for the call. Hi, this is Tina, Tina Martin. And I'm sorry to hear about your concern about flooding and having to check your Alameda Island home every two hours as Heather Knight says, like a parent with a new baby, uh, Peter. <laughs> but I enjoyed your podcast with the uh, free things to do in San Francisco. I also love the City Guide to Tours. Uh, one summer back in the 1900s, when I couldn't afford any other kind of vacation, I took 12 of them in city, and I made an album just as if I were a tourist. And as you were talking about the freebies, 
I thought of the Irving Berlin song, I've got the sun in the morning and the moon at night. Sunrises are free. And I began the year at Grandview Park in my new Total SF t-shirt, seeing one rise over 2023. And thanks again for a great podcast. Bye. First of all, Tina, I love the part that she was wearing the Total SF t-shirt. Previous caller. She's walking around (laughs) out in the world with a Total SF t-shirt because she called our party line. No, she spotted our cable car. She spotted our cable car. Thank you. Um, Flooding is great. Thank you for asking. My house is totally dry now. Dehumidifiers for the win and uh, loving the sunny weather right now. Yes, it's downright warm out, which is a nice change of pace. But thanks, Tina, for the reminder about beautiful sunrises and sunsets. They've been spectacular lately. So um, definitely want to work more of those into 2023. And I just love that attitude. Everybody thinks San Francisco is a super expensive town. Listen to the Total SF podcast. We'll give you free ideas and come up with some of your own. Cool. This was a great episode full of beer and fun calls from our listeners yes uh call the party line get yourself a t-shirt we'll get more mediums eventually (laughs) thank you for listening to total sf thank you for listening to the san francisco chronicle our music today is from the sunset shipwrecks castro organ player david hegarty and cable car bell ringing from eight-time champion byron cobb Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by investing in a digital Chronicle edition. It's less expensive than you think at sfchronicle.com slash pod. <laughs> Loved it. I've missed that so much.